0: Did mine, he's already there in your tomorrow with your broken hearts. Whatever it is, he is there and he's going to hold your hand. Heavenly Father, thank you for that encouraging truth through song. And now, Lord, we do ask that you would reveal your heart to us once again through your living word. And may we receive it, apply it, live by it, Lord. In such a way that we will bring honor and glory to you when our Savior returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would take your Bibles, let's turn to 1 John as we continue our series. 1 John, and we've arrived at chapter 3. Arrived at chapter 3 this morning. And as we come to chapter 3, as John begins to uh, this portion of his letter... Um, uh, these three verses that we're going to look at, verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 3, are some of the most uplifting, encouraging words that we could receive. And John knew that, and John was trying, he felt that it was time, he wanted to encourage the hearts of the believer, encourage the hearts of the saints that were suffering and being persecuted in that first century church. And I I believe this, what he's going to share, must have just just overwhelmed John personally in his own heart. Look at verse 1. John then writes, See how great love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it does not know Him. John makes his point simple and powerful right off the bat. He wants the, the church to stand back And take a good look again at the great love of our Heavenly Father. He says there, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. You know, here's the Apostle John who walked with Christ. He was one of the closest disciples to the Lord Jesus. He was next to him at the Last Supper. And of course, uh, we know that John, uh, throughout his gospel, when he spoke of himself, he would say the apostle or the the, the disciple who Jesus loved. And so, no doubt, there were, throughout the ministry of Jesus, there were those times, I'm sure he said it to all the disciples, but maybe particularly to John, one-on-one. He would tell John, John, I love you. And he saw the love of the Father. John saw the love of the Father in the Son. And what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. And so John experienced the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now he... He stops everything, and that word, when he, he, he uh, uses to begin verse 1, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. That word see is also translated behold. It's often translated behold. And that is both an exclamation and a command. So it's almost like John suddenly in the middle of his letter goes, Stop, look. And listen, he was just so overwhelmed and in awe of the love of the Father. And so he says to the church, as he does to all of us today, Behold, I want you to look at this. I want you to look at the Father and begin to think again of how much he loves you. Maybe you're this morning you came here and, and, and it's hard for you to feel loved. Perhaps in your life you grew up with a father who didn't show love. I've spoken to people who have said that. I never heard my father say, I love you or show any affection. And that carried on to the rest of their life. It had an effect on them and how they view God. Many times we look at our earthly father and then we use that picture of God and say, well, the only picture I have of a father, I didn't like. And so we think of God as being like that. But John wants us to understand and to see that God's love is a different kind of love it's the love that goes beyond the love of course that gives and gives and gives unconditionally and that's what the that's what uh john is sharing here and so john is basically saying the love of god should both amaze us and motivate us to live for christ and motivate us in the areas of our, of our ministry. Motivation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Go to Ephesians 5. We see what the Apostle Paul says. Verses 1 and 2. So, the love of the Father, if I get an understanding of His great love which sent Christ to Calvary, His only begotten Son, then it should motivate me to do something. And what is that? Paul says it in verse 1, Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God. And so how do we imitate God? Verse 2. And walk in love. Just As Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So, Paul is saying, you and I must be imitators of God. So, how do we imitate God? The number one way we do that is to love one another, to love God and to love one another. And that is how we are, are, are living in such a way where the, the world sees where our heart's affections are. And when we love one another, what did Jesus say? You, uh, by this you know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And I have seen that love here at Jonestown Bible Church among the U-Church family. And it is, it is wonderful and, and, and so encouraging to see myself as a, as a shepherd here, to see the sheep love each other. Now, it doesn't mean we always get along, does it? No, we. Uh, how many of you are right now are thinking of a sheep that you'd like to get it? you know maybe there's a sheep that turned black on you you know and maybe that that believer that brother or sister maybe someone in your family and you, and right now you are just do man how am i gonna get even how am i gonna you know i can't believe they did that to me i can't believe they said that to me and we get all upset and all worked up and but it's the love of god That constrains us and that will control us if we allow his love to to, uh, manifest itself through us in our minds, in our hearts. And that is what happens when I allow Christ to be manifested, as Paul said, in my body. To let my brothers and sisters know that Jesus lives in me. And so I show them by my love no matter how i am treated. So here Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved you. And that's a difficult task, but the love of God should motivate us to imitate God. And of course, we have the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Love is he defines love. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, doesn't brag, It is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Paul put that in there when he's talking about love to the church at Corinth. And they were were going at it like cats and dogs. And so he's saying, if you're really going to show the love of God, the love of Christ in your life, you won't take into account a wrong suffered. In other words, hold someone accountable for that—that that they they've done wrong to you. But you go to the Father and say, "Father, I forgive them as you forgave them." And so, we have the love of God is—we see it in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see it through and throughout the New Testament, we see the love of Christ. But you know when. People talk about the God of the Old Testament. They think, well, that's a pretty mean God. Uh, And and some people, they get that picture of God as as one that brings wrath and judgment upon sin. And yes, that's one side of God. And so it's easy if you're reading through the Old Testament. You you, you can sometimes feel like, like... I don't see God's love anywhere. But I want you to look at just two two portions with me in the Old Testament. Psalm 146. Let's go there. Psalm 146. Psalm 146. We find tucked away in this psalm. Though we don't know who the writer of it is, we think it's David. Psalm 146. Read it along with me as I I read it to you. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Verse 5. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry and the lord sets the prisoners free and of course this is what the lord jesus did when he came but what a description the psalmist is describing the god that he's praising the god of the uh, of the old testament the god of abraham isaac and jacob and he's saying you are blessed if you're hoping in him if you're trusting in him he is the one who keeps faith executes justice but he gives food to the hungry he will supply all your needs he'll set the prisoner free verse 8 then here it is the lord opens the eyes of the blind he raises up those who are bowed down and maybe you're bowed down today in spirit because of what's taken place in your life but then at the end of verse 8 he writes the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord loves the righteous. And then to conclude, he says, The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. He thwarts the way of the wicked. He will, the Lord will reign forever. Thy, thy God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Notice there in verse 9. It says, God protects the strangers. What does he do? He supports the fatherless and the widow. Who else but someone who has great love would do that? We see God's love right there. And the psalmist knew God's love. He says it right there in verse 8. The Lord loves the righteous. And this morning, if you don't think grasp anything else, grasp this first. The Lord loves you as his child. He loves you unconditionally. And he loves you with an everlasting love that will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though you may feel unloved, you may not feel like God loves you. Take him at his word and look at what he's done for you and what he has planned for you. And if we look at that, that is where we are going to find our hope, our strength. When I know, wow, the God of the universe cares enough about me that he loves me. Turn back then, if you would, to 1 John. Well, actually, actually, let's go to Isaiah 54. While we're in the Old Testament, I did have another portion of Scripture to look at. Isaiah 54.10. Isaiah fifty-four. Verse 10. I love what what the Lord says through Isaiah here. Isaiah 54.10. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. Maybe that's you right now. Your life. Suddenly you just feel like an earthquake hit you. You're standing upon unsolid ground. And something is shook in your faith. He says, For the mountains may move, the hills may shake, but here's the but. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you. You could put in the word mercy there for loving kindness. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you And my covenant of peace will what? Not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Though everything else falls apart in my life, I can stand and rest upon this promise that his loving kindness for me will never be removed. It will never change. And the covenant of peace he's given to me through the Lord Jesus Christ, that covenant, nothing can shake it. Nothing can shake that kind of love. And this morning, dear friend, it's the love of God when we get an understanding and the awe back of how much he loved us and how great this love is, that he would call us the children of God. When we get to that point, when the earth shakes in our personal life, we'll continue to stand. You won't collapse. He's, as it was beautifully put in that song, he knows tomorrow he's already there and he what? holds my hand. And that's what he's doing to you. And why does he do this? Turn back now to 1 John chapter 3. And look at the rest of verse 1. John open he says see how great a love the father has bestowed on you and by that by that word bestowed in the Greek it really just means to give, to give unconditionally. See how great a a love the Father has given upon to us that we should be called children of God and such we are. That we should be called children of God and such we are. Now that, uh, at the very end of that, then end of that statement there he says and such we are the king james doesn't have that in there so if you have a king james version and i read that and as such we are and it's not in there you're going oh how's that possible something's missing but actually the the king james and the new king james did not uh put that in but almost all the sound bible scholars um agree As they look at it, it is found in the original old manuscripts, that phrase, and such we are. So, but I want you to see what John is trying to get across here. He's saying, how do we know that God loves me? Because guess what? He called me his child. We are called children of God. And that's what we are. When was the last time your mind went there and said, I'm really, Lord, your child? I'm called your child? The one child Jesus had is a son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God wanted many more just like his son. And that's why he sent his son to die on the cross for you and rise from the dead. That you and I could be called the children of God. And so that the Lord Jesus would make us just like himself. And then we would be in the presence of the Father forever and ever. And we would be called the children of God. I don't think we can truly grasp that. It's so difficult to grasp it. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to what? Become the sons of God or children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So how do I become a child of God? Well, if I, if, if I give enough money to the poor, if I, if I show up at church enough times during the year, uh, maybe then I'll be called a child of God. And it breaks my heart when there are those who, who don't know Christ and they say, well, we are all children of God you know and so they they think that god is just going to take everybody to heaven one day and what a sad state to think that that well we you know and it makes a person feel good if you say well I'm a child of god but in reality it's only those who have received christ that become the true children of god and paul makes it clear here one How do we know that God, the Father, loves us so much? Well, we know because he sent his son. So that we would be called the children of God and children you are. When you leave here this morning, remember, I am a child of God. How many times have you not felt like a child of God? When when you've fallen, you've sinned. And, and then, then you look at yourself in the mirror and, and you're disgusted with what you see. How could I let God down that way? How could I have this attitude of anger or malice towards somebody? How could I have this bitterness of unforgiveness in my heart? You know, and I carry that. And I go, you mean I really am still a child of God? Yes, you are if you accepted Christ and went to that cross and believed on his name, though, no matter, we still have that old sinful nature, but nothing can change the fact you and I will forever be called children of God. Lift up your head, confess your sin, and remember that he will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all that unrighteousness, and you continue to walk as an obedient child. That's what God cares about. He wants us to walk as a child that's worthy of Him. But our position doesn't change. Look on with me now. Look at the rest of verse 1. John says, For this reason, because we are children of God, the world does not know us because it does not know Him. The world doesn't know Jesus, therefore it doesn't know us. Know us as what? As children of God. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. If they didn't recognize that, they're not going to recognize you as a child of God. Because it hasn't been revealed yet. You know, we all basically, if you put everyone together, believers and unbelievers, and you just look at everybody... Can you just by looking pick out the ones that are children of God? You're a child of God. Mm, You don't look like a child of God. Oh, you look like a child of God. Yeah, yeah. No, we all look the same. It hasn't been revealed yet. So the world, it's like we, we are invisible. We're masked. Yes, we show the love of God. We demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. But they really don't see who we are. And you and I... Don't see who we are yet. And that's why John goes to the next verse. He goes on, verse 2. Beloved, now that we are children of God, it has not, (coughs) excuse me, it has not appeared yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is we shall see him just as he is what an incredible statement he makes here he says it doesn't appear yet what you really are from the outside nobody can really see that you are a child of god but that's all going to change he says, doesn't appear right now what you're going to be. But because of the change that Christ has made inside your life and heart, it has not appeared yet. But then he says, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, don't you love this? We shall be like him. For we shall see him just as he is. We don't know yet. We haven't seen our, fa- our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ or the Heavenly Father. But that day's coming. And when he appears, when Jesus returns for us, it is then that you and I are going to finally enjoy uh, the, the, the complete transformation of our bodies, that we are going to be like Christ in every way. And the sin nature will be gone forever when he appears. What did, Have you ever thought of what Jesus is going to look like when he appears? And we know that he's going to appear any day, any moment. He's coming back for his church. Turn to Revelation chapter 1 with me. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. John, who's writing our letter was given this, this revelation as he wrote it down, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he saw Jesus Christ face to face in heaven, in the future. God took him into the future. And so if you'll go to Revelation 1, verse 12, John writes, And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. His head and hair were like white, were white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of that of many waters. In his right hand he beheld seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, John says, I fell down at his feet like a dead man. And he laid his hand upon me. And I think that's what we're going to... We're going to fall before the Lord Jesus when we see him. He is going to be so beautiful, so glorious. We're going to see him in all his glory. And we're not going to feel worthy enough to even look upon him. But Jesus put his hands on John. And what does he say? Do not be afraid. I am the last, the, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. See, we know though Jesus name isn't mentioned here, we know this is Jesus Christ the Son of God because of what he just stated there. He said, "I am the first and the last, I'm the living one." I'm the Alpha and Omega. Behold, I was dead and now I'm alive forevermore. But this is, this, John gives us a picture. He writes down the picture that he saw of the living Christ, the resurrected Christ. And you and I are going to see him too. That day is coming. We don't know when. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians 15. What's going to happen at his appearing? First Corinthians 15, verse 50. Paul concludes his letter to the church at Corinth, First Corinthians 15:50. He says, "Now I say to you, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die." But we shall all be what? Changed. That's the moment we're going to... Jesus appears, we're going to be changed. We're going to be like him. We shall see him just as he is. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we who are alive shall be changed. There it is. Our permanent glorification. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal, this, this mortal body must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about that saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, it could be any moment, any time, the trumpet will sound. You will be changed as the dead in Christ will rise and we shall meet them and meet the Lord in the air. And you and I will suddenly experience a transformation like we've never experienced before. A complete transformation. You've heard me talk about sanctification. There is positional sanctification, which is what happens when I'm set apart to God, right? When when I trust the Lord Jesus as my Savior, I become a believer. I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. I am truly transformed at that moment. I am sanctified positionally. In other words, I am always considered and always will be a child of God. But then there is the other side of sanctification, which is we call progressive sanctification. And that is my desire and my goal is to, to live a pure life, to live a holy life until he comes. That I might live a life that I progress in my sanctification while I'm battling this old nature. And one day that's going to be gone but that is what we need to strive for. That is what the Lord is concerned with. Are, are we progressing in the way we live, in, in how we deal with sin? Is there less sin in my life than last week? Am I truly setting my part myself apart unto the Lord and seeking to be His? Go back with me now, if you would, to 1 John Chapter 3 here, notice he said, And we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. He then concludes, verse 3, he says, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, notice the word him is capitalized, which is talking about jesus christ so basically we could read it and everyone who has this hope fixed on christ on jesus you have your hope fixed on him of his appearing you know he's coming he's going to transform your bodies and we are going to he's going to take us home to heaven everyone who has this hope fixed on him what does he do If I truly am fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ in my life and my hope is fixed on him as the way I live my life, he says, the person who does this purifies himself just as he is pure. Just as he is pure. Purifies himself. What's he talking about here as we close? He's talking about Holiness. Am I, am, I, am I living a life to the point where I'm striving to live apart from the world and, and everything it offers and try and walk in righteousness? Walk in that newness of life so that, that I am constantly asking the Lord, Lord, give me a pure heart like the, like David did. David said he constantly wanted the lord to look into his own heart create in me a clean heart he he would say see if there be in any wicked way in me may that be our desire but john concludes these this portion with telling the church he's saying first of all remember god loves you And how do you know? Because you are his child today. You are his child now and forevermore. Nothing will change that. And so because of that, look up and wait for the change that's coming to you. When Christ shall appear, he will transform us into a body like his glorious body. How wonderful that's going to be. But as we wait for his coming and we wait for that glorious appearing when we shall see him face to face, I must seek to live a pure life. And oh, how we fail. Oh, how I fail to be what he wants me to be. But with the strength power and strength of the Holy Spirit you and I can live a life that is pure and and honoring to him so that when he comes he will be pleased with what he sees and he will say well done thou good faithful servant enter into my kingdom let's pray together as we bow our hearts before the Lord dear christian perhaps you came here this morning with a heavy heart as your world has been shaken somehow perhaps it's relationships in your life perhaps it's your job it's your health whatever it is and you just you just feel unloved would you right now hold tight to that glorious promise that the Father loves you and that he made you his child and you will ne- that will never change and now you are waiting for his appearing but would you just ask the Lord, say Lord, I want have the right attitudes. I want to have a life that is pleasing to you, a heart that's pleasing to you. Then Christian, just confess your sin again. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for any bitterness and any resentment, anything I have in my life that is displeasing to you. Father, forgive me. And then say, Lord, I'm giving you my shaken world, my doubts, my fears, my pain, I'm giving it to you right now. Would you do that, Christian? Do that now, and you will feel the burden lift. You will feel the peace of God in your heart that passes all understanding will calm you of your fears. Just, he's here waiting for you to lay your burden down. If you're here without Christ, You don't know the Savior. I invite you to accept him right now. Here as we close, just believe in your heart that he died for you, that he's a son of God, and admit you're a sinner and come to him by faith asking him to save you and forgive you. And you will be born again spiritually. Are you a child of God this morning? If not, it's time to make that decision where God will make you his child, but you've got to respond to his love. Pray with me now. Pray quietly in your heart a prayer like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today. As my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me. And rising from the dead. Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed. If you gave your heart to Christ. You are now born again. You are a child of God. I welcome you into the family. Heavenly Father. We thank you Lord. Again for the truths. You've given us today. The precious promises. In your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for what we shall be, what we are now as children of God and what we shall be when he appears. Thank you, Father, for all that you have in store for us as your children. Help us to walk by faith, not by sight. And with your help, Seek to live that pure life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.